Alan Gray, helping you secure your future. 50 years of long-term investing. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Time to take a look at opportunities when it comes to our investments, right? And typically we uh, uh, have these amazing conversations with representatives from Alan Gray who guide us and help us understand how the macroeconomic climate influences our investment decisions, how our behavior also needs to be monitored. And of course, just understanding the lay of the landscape and how easy it is for us to access opportunities to really build wealth, preserve it and transfer it. But have you ever considered when it comes to the theme of diversification, not only are we talking about asset classes, but we're also talking about different regions. And this speaks to investment opportunities that might come about from frontier markets. And you're probably sitting back and thinking, whoa, frontier markets? How do those differ from developed markets or emerging markets? Well, we're going to get some insight here into um, uh, the nitty gritties around this with Varshan Maharaj, Portfolio Manager at Allen Gray. Varshan, welcome to the show. Good evening, Gulinetri. It's a pleasure to speak to you this evening. Fantastic. Great to speak to you. And I guess we'll start off with the basics, right? I mentioned EMs, DMs and FMs. <laughs> I'm using the technical jargon, but literally help us unpack what are frontier markets and how they differ from emerging markets or more developed economies. Great. That's an awesome place to start. So as you mentioned, when we look across the global financial markets, there's three buckets which countries get put into either developed markets, emerging markets or frontier markets. And countries that fall into the frontier market basket are generally in the early phases of their economic growth story and have a relatively underdeveloped capital market. And what we find is as one goes down the tiers from developed markets to emerging markets to frontier markets, generally the value of shares traded drops a lot and the share price movements within those markets increases a lot and so does the perceived risk. So for example, on a developed market, it would be quite uncommon to see the share price of a share move by 10% in a day, whereas in frontier markets, that actually is quite routine. And while this does increase the perception of risk, it also creates more opportunities for mispricing for value investors such as ourselves. And in terms of examples, Within um, Southeast Asia, examples would be the Philippines and Vietnam. Mm. Um, In Central Asia and Eastern Europe, we have countries such as Georgia and Kazakhstan. We also have the entire continent of Africa, except South Africa. Within Asia, there's Sri Lanka and Pakistan. And in Latin America, we have countries such as Colombia, Argentina and Peru. So there's a very large landscape for us to look for opportunities within. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned some of these markets because now it makes it practical. And I think for anyone who thinks of what a picture of Sri Lanka looks like, again, just based on our exposure and limited knowledge, right, on, on social media and on digital platforms, uh, we might think, ooh, those are complex markets. Uh, uh, what value and what opportunities do they really present to South African investors? Sure. So um, if I had to sum it up in two words, it would be more choice. These markets offer investors much more choice, and um, I can um, explore that further in four categories. The first would be exposure to attractive geographies. 
So I had already mentioned the Philippines and Vietnam. Yes. Those are countries with very large and young populations. We're talking about 100 to 110 million people. And um, the economies are growing at very high rates over the last decade. We started looking at mid-single digits to high single digits. So that's attractive um, demographics relative to South Africa. The second area of opportunity would be exposure to sectors which you can't easily access when investing in the JSD. So for example, we could look at something like uranium. If an investor was only limited to the JSD, mm-hmm. they could buy shares in BHP, which has about a 7% market share of uranium. But within the broader context of BHP, uranium is a very small part of its cash flow. Uh-huh. And even if the uranium price were to double or triple, you wouldn't see much movement in the share price of BHP. Whereas within the frontier markets, uh, we hold a company called Kazatom Prom, which mm-hmm. is listed in Kazakhstan, which is a pure play on uranium. And they have a 23% market share. So if the price of uranium goes up, uh, we would see it much more pronounced in the share price of Kazatom Prom. The third area of um, benefit for local investors is broader choice. So many investors um, choose to use um, themes when investing. So, for example, if you are bullish on uh, pharmaceutical companies, on the JSD you could access one or two companies in that industry, whereas in the frontier universe you have something like 10 to 20 different options to choose from. And the last sort of opportunity that frontier markets offer South African investors is from time to time these markets get really cheap and you you have the opportunity to invest at a very low starting valuation. And currently we think um, this is one of those opportunities. Uh, within our portfolio, for example, yep. um, the, the entire portfolio trades on six times um, earnings versus the all-share index in South Africa, which is currently on about 11 times earnings. So if I had to compare that to a consumer, um, you're basically paying half the price for goods, which is very cheap in our view. Wow. I think this is so intriguing because it really does open us to a whole new world of investments as well as a plethora of opportunities that you've highlighted. But Varshan, I can imagine for anyone when it comes to uh, allocating capital offshore, you think, oh my goodness, how am I going to access these particular regions? In what currency? How long is my investment period? All those typical investment questions, you know, might come to you in a hurry, but also add a heightened sense of anxiety given that these are different markets with uh, their own currencies, their own dilemmas and uh, a a unique understanding that one needs to possess. So talk us through uh, the kind of research one would have to put together before considering investing in some stocks in frontier markets. Sure, Google, actually, that's a great question. So just in terms of the size of the market, um, it varies from time, uh, it varies over time, but generally there's about 2,500 to 3,000 stocks that we could choose to invest in. And from studying the history of markets, uh, one of the things that we notice is in different countries over many different time periods, there's a handful of stocks that drive the, almost the entire return for that market. So within each market, we try to identify what are those handful of stocks that are likely to produce um, the best returns for investors. And we screen that universe on um, on, a, on a number of metrics, which include things like their earnings growth, their return on capital. Mm -hmm. We want to invest in companies that are very profitable. 
We also look for industries that have an attractive market structure. So industries um, where a few companies have a very large market share, where there hasn't been a lot of new supply entering the industry. These are the sort of things that look attractive to us. And we also try to invest in companies where the managers behave like owners. So generally, this is in situations where the management teams have large shareholdings in the companies that they run. Mm. So when when we screen that investment universe of about 3,000 stocks, we get maybe 300 that meet our um, criteria. And then we focus our research um, on better understanding what are the particular advantages of that company um, that that has enabled them to earn good returns and are they going to be durable going forward? So are those strengths going to persist? And that's very important because that allows them to continue to earn those good returns over time and allows investors such as ourselves to enjoy that force of com- compound compounding interest. Yeah, I can imagine with the, obviously these unique markets, there's a lot of new developments um, um, and some challenges that can occur. I, I do recall Argentina went through a very difficult time at one point with heightened levels of inflation, uh, some some pressure points in terms of uh, struggling with economic growth and the like. So how pertinent is it for an investor to keep an eye on the news flow, but not be derailed by it? Because sometimes we know that you know investing can be quite emotive uh, and depending on where things are in the short term, it could distract us from the long term view and an objective. Um, so talk us through, you know, balancing those dynamics and I guess keeping our head above the noise. That's a, a great observation, Google, to, um, as you mentioned, Argentina has been a very bumpy ride. Um, perhaps um, another example that I could use is Georgia and Kazakhstan because we do have quite a big overweight in those countries. And in early 2022, there was civil unrest in Kazakhstan Mm -hmm. and that was uh, shortly followed by Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And uh, Georgia is in the same geographic vicinity and many many people were very concerned with these developments and thought that it would be detrimental to companies listed in Georgia. But now that uh, we have the benefit of hindsight with the passage of time, uh, Georgia has actually been one of the best countries to invest in since early 2022. If we look across frontier markets, um, the Georgian Lari is one of the few currencies that has appreciated versus the U.S. dollar. And um, this is very counterintuitive. Why, why did this happen? Um, there's a few reasons. One is that a large number of people from Russia and Belarus relocated to Georgia. So it was something of the order of 500,000 people that she allocated to Georgia. And many of them are professionals, many work in the IT industry, um, which helped boost the GDP of Georgia. Uh, Second, a lot of trade that was going through Russia, reallocated to go through Georgia. And uh, tourism in Georgia also increased. So we find that over the last two years, the GDP growth in Georgia has been over 10%. And... um, it just goes to show that things are very counterintuitive and it's very important to focus on the fundamentals and not on the news flow. Definitely. The fundamentals, which actually influences one's investment decisions. That's exactly what we need to focus on. Really appreciate your time this evening, uh, uh, Varshan, and uh, how much context and perspective you've given us. And I'm assuming should an investor be keen to invest in frontier markets, 
always consult a professional, right? Just to make sure that you follow through with the right themes, ways and regulations that need to be disclosed. Sure. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to chat to you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's Varshan Maharaj, Portfolio Manager at Alan Gray, giving us some insight as to how best we can invest in frontier markets. So next time someone tells you about Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Indonesia, Argentina, then maybe you can tell them, hold on, I've identified a few companies that might be worthwhile to invest in them. If you missed it live, catch the podcast on kaya959.co.za.